This is Business Impact, a podcast series from UCD College of Business, Ireland's leading business school. I'm your host, Emmett Oliver, and each episode, I'll be joined by world-renowned faculty from across the College of Business, as well as international industry leaders who offer us insight, spark curiosity, and challenge you to rethink how you do business in a changing world. back to Business Impact, UCD's Business School podcast. And we've been off air for quite some time, several months. We actually do get a break over the summer. And yes, academics do actually do work and research and all sorts of things during the summer. And we prepare for the coming year. And you're joining us for this particular podcast at a moment of history. Yes, adopts <laughs> grave tone of voice because we actually are in UCD Business School, surrounded by all this very complex and challenging equipment, which my guest will talk to us about in a few minutes. And we have been doing these podcasts from my front room in the south side of Dublin for nearly two years or more. But we've actually managed to kind of crawl our way into the business school and utilise the wonderful multimedia studios that they have here on the second floor of the Quinn Business School. So it's fantastic to have this milestone recorded because... It's been fine working out of a room. Yes, you do get people cutting the grass. You do get the the dog next door affecting the sound quality. But it was definitely worth doing. In terms of the next few months, we'll be doing a combination of these using the UCD facilities. And also occasionally, depending on time and constraints and so on, it will be back to my uh, box room at home. But hopefully we will have a new and improved sonic quality for you over the next few months. It's been an amazing summer, great temperatures very parched grass and autumn that didn't really happen and you'll see still leaves on the trees which is very peculiar but definitely the mood within Ireland if you ignore the whole energy issue is quite up and we've got a very vibrant and buoyant campus here at UCD thousands of students streaming through which is again wonderful to see normal service resuming in that area now let's go through what we're going to do today my guest will be research associate and lecturer here at the UCD business business school Alan Higgins who's going to be talking to us about some of the most innovative technologies and design thinking that is out there at the moment first of all you're very welcome to business impact Alan thank you Emmett I know you're very interested in how these podcasts are put together and the equipment that is used. Uh, listeners wouldn't believe the amount of stuff we surrounding us. Hopefully some of it at least works. That's the hope. Uh, we've got doubles and triples here. So. Backups and more backups and more backups. And listen, it's great to have you alone. What we're going to spend the um, next half an hour conversation doing is talking about the whole area of design, technology. Um, is there a place for the creative arts and those other media and arts disciplines in a business school. So we're going to be provocative. <laughs> Why are you here type question is going to come up. We've been trying to get Alan on for quite a while because he does a lot of very different teaching and research here at the business school. Yes, we have cohorts of people who teach management, who teach accountancy, who teach marketing, and they're all great colleagues of ours. No problem with any of them. But Alan comes from a slightly different place and a very interesting place, coming out from a side angle in terms of what we teach students here. And we'll get to all of that over the next while. First of all, well, Alan, I suppose we always open this conversation with our guests with telling them us telling us a little bit about themselves. Your accent already attracts me. I see you have on your LinkedIn that you speak Japanese. We'll, we'll maybe get a bit, a bit of that later on. But first, tell us a little bit about yourself. Okay, yeah, um, I'm Alan Higgins. I've lived in Ireland for maybe nearly 30 years. I ended up here because I met my wife and uh, before we, she was my wife and, and uh, it turns out she was Irish and didn't actually want to live in Australia so much as in Ireland, so I ended up coming over here for her. She won that battle. <laughs> she won that battle. Now, you, Alan has, for lots of you in the technology cluster here in Ireland, you'll know Alan because he's worked previously with Havoc, 
Iona Technologies, Seapro Telecoms, Symantec. He is an engineer by training as well. He doesn't uh, take that as an insult because we'll be talking about engineering and how that interacts with some of the disciplines we're going to be talking about. First of all, Alan, you're in, interested, your you're abiding passion to all of these jobs and your academic work has been design. Um, tell us a little bit about what we mean or what people generally think of as design. Okay, yeah, design, which I think of is as central to a whole range of industry concerns. Usually we, we think of, well, go to the dictionary and get a definition. We usually think of design as a kind of planning and drawing things, representing them, or the representations themselves. We see a design and we look at it and we say, oh, that's a good design. Um, that could be an artwork, it could be a, a physical sort of goods, uh, a well-designed product. So there's that aspect of design, the thing-like aspect, but then uh, perhaps of more interest to myself and for others in industry is the process of design. Now, that's often sort of misunderstood as a decision-making process, as a kind of deciding, um, a deliberate decision-making process. And I think that is a kind of retrospective explanation that people arrive at when they're involved in design, but it doesn't actually explain what's happening. So what I'm interested in is getting into the heart of what's happening in a design team, in the minds of those creatives, and uh, looking at it slightly differently. So for me, I'll go to the punchline now, design is a kind of learning. And so design, I think of it as designing as learning. Yes, in your your career, you you've brought a, you've developed a lot of software. You know, some of it used in products produced by some of those companies that I've outlined there. When you start from scratch in a piece of design, you're commissioned by somebody, a manager or a design leader, to say, "We want X. We want this new thing that's going to be design." Generally, is an improvement on something that went before, but not necessarily. I mean, how do you pull a team together or who, who's the driver or where do you start? Do you just look at what's already in the market and say, if we move this here and do that there, we can improve this? How does that design process, the journey, begin in your experience? It's very rare that you get to work on a totally greenfield project. Also, we never really start with a blank slate. We always bring our history, our preconceptions, our prior understandings. So those those are kind of immediate sort of uh, different to the way we, we would think of a design process, a project kicking off in a sense. And then there's the other aspect too. Is it an individual um, production or is it a team production? And uh, yeah, so I've mainly worked on team productions and, and the approach you take is quite different. But I think the individual process is still occurring within the team. Is that a good place to start? Yeah, no, I'm just thinking of the Artemis shuttle. I'm thinking of the Tesla cars. I'm thinking of these great technological advancements that are always in the news all the time. Obviously, the iPhone, you know, a lot of people read um, how Steve Jobs and Apple worked through their design. I'm always wondering of, of the journey, you know, where, where it starts or who brings the first inspiration to the table. But as you say, we, we don't start from scratch. There are ideas, there are iterations. I mean, the iPhone was presumably based on a whole range of previous prototypes, but also other people who'd worked in with mobile phone technology before. So, so in terms of your own um, experience of design, is it, is it like, where does it come from? Does it come from the users? Is it from the creators? Where does the, the, the essence of it come in? Yeah, if I could um, maybe illustrate it with uh, a reference to a video from 1999, ABC News in the United States, um, I think did a, a short piece with IDEO, the product design company, 
And I, I think of that video as a ground zero in this new move towards design thinking that is sort of taking the stage here in, in industry at large. Um, and what you see there is a, a, a mature team executing to a new brief. So they start with a brief and then they explore. Now, what they did is what they called a deep dive and what many organizations might think of today as a kind of a, a, a um, sprint um, and that runs over five days. And that's completely unrealistic for a, a proper uh, a project. Um, uh, rapid iterations, are a rap very rapid production cycle of five days is literally impossible. It might be useful to produce a prototype though. And that's what this video shows, the development of a prototype. And if you tried to find out who came up with the original idea, you couldn't. Is this in a team-based environment with multiple disciplines present? There's, it's it's always going to be a co-production. I mentioned the idea of a design brief, that kind mm. of simple statement. I think that's probably one way you could look at the process initiating, but then you can bring in all these kind of fantastic interactive, um, team-based, um, collaborative tools to get that process up and running and productive as quick as possible. Now, we, we all love stories about designs that didn't work. We almost like those more than the ones that did. I mean, the Apple Watch, lots of people said a great design, but nobody ever mentioned lampposts because as you look at it, you, you whack into them. So there's always these simple things. And sometimes the user experience, of course, big companies bring the user in, but often it's towards the end. Um, who are the users they actually survey or, or bring into the room to check with. I, I know that you're very keen on user-centered design. Talk to me a little bit about how important the user of the device platform or whatever it is is to, should they be involved or are they right at the end? Where, where do they come into this picture? Yeah, okay, that's a, an interesting take. Um, the, it's, it's, it's actually quite a controversial topic. I have an a, a anecdote about Steve Jobs, and he says, in a sense, or said, in a sense, that the last thing you need is the input of the customer. They, 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 they don't actually produce the innovation. Um, and yet, I'm a big fan of user-centered design and the user being uh, central to the design process or involved in the design process. I think it's both. I think you need the creative insights, the kind of excellent engineers and artists and designers and creators on your team to uh, come up with ideas. But you've got to be careful that they're not designing for themselves specifically. That's a classic problem in software specifically. There's software particularly in that um, a developer has a, a sort of need, uh, an itch they, they need to scratch. They they need to develop a thing that solves their particular problem. Um, in a sense, that's a user-centered design process with a user of one. Later on, I think um, you need to involve users as early as possible, actually, in this sort of uh, brief. So ideally, you've got users and customers involved in, in scoping the brief and then later on in uh, using prototypes in a real-life uh, fashion, in a playtest manner, perhaps, to uh, get their input and to avoid going down those paths that don't produce productive output. Yeah, I remember being involved once in the design of a website, and I always remember one person said, we'll have to bring in the users and get them to do a test run, test run and they go into a room and they fiddle around with the, the website. And I remember somebody at the table saying, what happens or what are we going to do if they don't like it? Because <laughs> we spent all this money already. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. I suppose that, that crucial issue of when you bring them into the journey. Now, a lot of people will, will hear us talk about design. We'll talk a little bit later about certain designs that you like, if that's okay, if there's certain things that you would, you would cite. But a lot of people listening in, we have a lot of people who are from more traditional business school disciplines. They're accountants, they're marketeers, they're management 
um, professionals, their auditors. We have all sorts of very uh, starchy, hard-nosed people that listen to this podcast. So a lot of them might say, what in God's name is media, the arts, creative industries, entertainment and toys? Why do any of them belong in a business school? Yeah, it's a good question. And actually, empirically, you could look around uh, the scene in the educational sector and look at how many business business schools um, actually have an interest or uh, uh, exposure to the arts sector. It tends to be neglected across the board in um, in education within the business uh, uh, school, largely because I think it's uh, it's it's not. It's not necessarily a big industry from an industrial concern perspective. It's an industry that does depend on individual talent. Um, And it's an industry that depends on the law of requisite variety. So you can't get a dominating player necessarily because you need uh, uh, arts and media needs variety, needs um, um, variation. Customers like to see or users and players like to play more than one thing. Um, we all like to watch perhaps uh, uh, a Jane Austen play, but we like to see the variations on that Jane Austen with zombies. <laughs> <laughs> you don't need to do this podcast. You've got a business idea right there. <laughs> so what you're saying, it's, it's constant change, evolution, and also new things, new, fresh, shiny things are at the essence to the creative impulse. So that's why people are so captivated. But it's not necessarily has the structure of a traditional business sector that we think of. We think of big factories, plumes of smoke. That's what we think of when we think of industry and business. You're coming from a completely different place. Not only is it a a sort of not as conventional as your your traditional business, it it is actually a big business. So that's why business schools are at at least uh, justified in being involved in this space. Functionally, I think other other industry sectors can learn something from the design and creative processes that we see in creative industries and apply them internally. One of the reasons for that might be um, the gradual infiltration of digital in all sectors, in all industry sectors. And digital, I think, has a very uh, close overlap with the more broad creative um, um, industry sector. There's a lot of synergy between digital and creative arts and creative and, and media. Um, And we see that uh, at a sort of disruptive level in that new technologies are disrupting the creative industries, but creative industries are creating the content for those disruptive technologies too. And media sector is huge though. So it's it's of that, it's it's economically important and we should be paying close attention to it. Yes, I mean, it's a big business, hence it should be in a business school, I I think is is the summarized position there. I mean, a lot of people will talk about media. We've obviously got digital online technologies. We've got more traditional places like radio and newspapers and television. We've obviously got AI and we'll come on to that as well. So media covers such a kind of a diverse field from animation right over to filmmaking to um, the visual arts, etc. It's absolutely enormous. We also have a lot more leisure time and we spend a lot more money on these technologies than ever before. So in terms of the the influence of the creative sector, it is a real industry. There's a real dynamic and the, the, the premium that's placed on something new in that area. Everyone wants to see the new game. Everyone wants to see the new iteration of um, an iPhone. We've mentioned this company a few times now. Everyone wants to see the new, we, obviously there's the metaverse, etc. So there's always that whole idea of something new coming along. And companies will pay huge money to be the next innovator. 
it, it, it's amazing where these different ideas come. Obviously, Silicon Valley is is the hub that we're most familiar with, but there's a lot of other clusters all across Europe where these great ideas are coming from. In terms of creativity, you teach students to be creative. Um, when they come into you, are you are you encouraged by what you deal with in the students and the creativity they come up with, or is it hard to to draw that out of them? I mean, as as a sort of an academic who who teaches students in the creative disciplines and shows them that there's real potential to have a livelihood and a job in this area, h- how difficult is it to kind of draw that out of students who've come through what's sometimes a a pretty straightened kind of education system at secondary level? Yeah, I think. Um a lot of people don't think of themselves as creative. That 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 is a problem, um, uh, and I don't think it's necessarily true. I think we all have a creative spark. We all respond to the moment. We all encounter problems and we find solutions on a daily basis. And um, there's a lot of bad technology and bad design out there, and we constantly cope with that. So, um, from teaching students or teaching anybody how to be creative. We can do that in a pretty rigorous fashion, in a sense. Um, there's a great little exercise I use in one of my classes, um, and it's a design prompt. Um, and what I get is a list of industry sectors and a list of game types, and we jumble them up. Um, people draw a, a, a token from the industry sector box and a token from the game sector box, and you juxtapose two concepts. That acts as a creative sort of prompt uh, to spark ideas in people. Anybody can have an idea. And from that point on, it's a matter of research, develop, explore, uh, and and until you get to the point perhaps of prototyping and trying an idea out, not in any very expensive heavyweight manner. It can be paper prototypes. It can be rough and ready, sort of made up, but enough to essentially take you through that creative process. And, and that kind of um, role-playing or game-playing that you're talking about, it means that other sectors can also learn from the creative process. We've been talking about media, some of its great achievements, some of the technological breakthroughs of recent decades. Can other sectors of the economy learn from this type of stuff? Because you'll have people listening who are in very divorced sectors from here who will say, well, I'm in, I make widgets or whatever. You know, what is this? What's the relevance of any of this to me? But you do strongly believe that a whole range of sectors can learn from these things. Yeah, if I could make a call, uh, a call out to the IRDG, the Irish Research Development Group, is a members organisation that has, uh, it, its members are mainly traditional industry sectors, food, um, manufacturing, pharmaceutical, and they train uh, their members in what's called design thinking. And that is exactly this kind of product, rapid prototyping product development process that uh, puts users center central to, to the design sort of ideation for next generation products. Um, it could be uh, purely physical, physical plus digital, or adding technology into an existing process. Now, in, in terms of the blockages along the way, Alan, I mean, obviously, that there's a cost issue. We, we've, um, we, I suppose we've, over the years, said there's not enough going into R&D in Ireland in particular, but it has been rising in more recent years. And, you know, we're not like Germany, where we're producing this big amount of engineering excellence that the whole country is known for. Let's be, be straight about that. But having said all of that, do you think you're seeing changes? Do you think you're seeing more creativity in companies? I mean, you're engaging with industry a lot of the time through those networks that you mentioned. Are you encouraged? Or are you sort of saying, well, it's all pretty much the same as it always was? Are you, are you seeing kind of green shoots of creativity in maybe companies that you wouldn't expect to see them in? Yeah, um, I, I am encouraged. Uh, I think there's a huge startup community in Ireland that is growing year on year. The NDRC, they're now uh, situated in Dogpatch Labs at the, um, on, in, in the Financial Services Centre. 
they've got a, a they're constantly bringing new um, small stage early stage startups in to incubate them to a higher level. Um, I'm I'm really um, optimistic, and plus I think in it's not really called out often enough. Um, R and D costs R and D costs in a traditional sector uh, manufacturing are high. Um, as are the deployment costs because you can't produce something unless you have a factory and machine it up and tool it up. So they're huge capital costs. Where there's a strong digital component or perhaps an integrated circuit and technology going into a product, the upfront capital costs for the kind of end organization are way lower. In fact, they're human costs. So Time, hours, you have to hire exactly. someone, yeah. So, so that that is it. That that's it. People cop onto the fact that okay, our 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 investment is going into people. It's people who are the center. And everyone in the world wants those ideas. Like that, that's what people are chasing because there isn't necessarily huge change. Like it's not. We're not in the industrial revolution where there's massive change that uh, the whole way we work. It's it's trying to squeeze more juice out of the lemon. Essentially, it's it's like. You know, there's been this whole argument about productivity. You can see it everywhere, but in the productivity statistics, you know, do do the does an iPhone bring huge productivity gains? Now, maybe it does, maybe it doesn't. That's a, a different argument. But a lot of the the hard nosed economists will say, well, what, what do these things do for the way we do business and efficiency and so on? But that's not the only thing that they do because a lot of people, as I said, are, they're for human enjoyment, they're for games. And a lot of the time, people are prepared and want to spend more of their life on this planet doing these other things. It's not all about slog, slog, slog. And I know you're very interested in the world of games and gaming. Are you seeing good design ideas coming out of that area? Is, is that something that you're encouraged by the quality of work in that sphere? Yeah, I am. And I see huge innovation coming out of the game industry, particularly game industry overlapping with um, high tech. And I think there is a lot more to be gained from squeezing this lemon. Um, <laughs> efficiencies, yes. Um, and new ways of working, new ways of doing. We, I, I have this kind of idea that uh, I talk about, and that every five years there's been a paradigm shift. Um, uh, sometimes maybe we stretch it to a decade, but no, every five years there's a paradigm shift. We see new technologies um, uh, breaking into um, the applied domain and thus changing the nature of the market. Um, you can think of uh, uh, drones, um, point of view, sort of miniature camera. Um, you can think of AI. These potentially are groundbreaking and world changing. Um, so there's a lot more to be gained. Um, in t back to the idea of the game industry. Now, when I talk about game industry, I'm not just talking about video games. I'm definitely emphasizing board games and in-world, in-real-life uh, games there too. Yes, they, they are a huge driver of innovation um, in terms of, let's say, high-tech uh, video games have driven processor design requirements for the last 20 years. Uh, they've also driven a sort of infrastructural shifts that Ireland has been lucky enough to be part of in terms of sort of massively multiplayer online gaming, the uh, back-end server and, and data centers serving those products. And there's a lot more to be gained. And the other point you mentioned around leisure, um, that's not efficiencies, but it's, that's demand. And, and of course, entertainment, playing, um, engagement interaction is a huge driver of demand um, because it's a human need and games really hit that sweet spot. So that's why it's important. Now, you mentioned artificial intelligence, AI. 
earlier on in our conversation, you were talking a little bit about, you know, that the, the cost of all this stuff is, is the cost of hiring people or human capital. Um, but maybe there's another player coming onto the field, which is AI. How, how much of the design process do you think AI can take up? Um, or do you see it as a threat? Do you see it as an opportunity? And again, these are very broad questions. <laughs> yeah. And we've only got a few minutes. So, uh, you know, we're, I feel a little bit unfair posing them of you at all. But in terms of AI and design, do, do you see in 40, 50 years that it'll be all computer aided design? Will there be a kind of a human command structure on top? How do you see, and, and do you think the work will get even better with AI, or do you think we old humans were pretty good anyway, so we don't need these machines? What, what, what's your take on all that whole area? Yeah, it's a tough area uh, to be in at the minute. If you're a designer, an artist, perhaps people is talking about their jobs being replaced by AIs. Um, and I, I do believe we are seeing uh, an impact. Um, AI-generated media, for example, has really captured the imagination of, of um, early adopters uh, because it seems to offer the promise of, let's say, another industry efficiency uh, in cutting out maybe uh, creatives from the creative process. Now, um, that's the, the uh, top, top line fear. Um, but I don't think it will. I think what it will do is create more demand for creative content, for artistic content, for musical content, for automatically generated um, uh, design ideas or meshes or objects or things, uh, digital media, but it may also drive an appreciation for the value of a well-designed, human-involved, um, productive, uh, 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 creative asset. And um, the impacts are already have already happened in a, in a sense in digital. The media has the, the the creative arts have in a sense suffered a lot in the digital uh, domain because of the free availability of, of content, the lack of respect for copyright in some cases. Um, but it, it's not a one, there's no one single answer. Um, digital asset libraries, you might think, are, 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 are being challenged by auto-generated, um, parametrically generated or, or AI-generated art and content. So companies like Stock, stock art companies, Shutterstock, Uplash, Pixabay, those are at Adobe might all be um, impacted. But I don't know. I think they might also be um, beneficiaries because you still have to curate this material. Um, there's still a process. I mentioned earlier uh, what the design process was, um, that, uh, that I didn't think it was a decision-making process. And what you see with an AI-generated art um, uh, like you get on uh, Dali or Midjourney is... Um, it's designed like a decision-making process, but people aren't necessarily think the users aren't necessarily thinking about the aesthetic judgments and the aesthetic involvement of them in the production of variations there. So we're looking at a shift for sure, efficiencies for sure. But is it all bad? I don't think so. No, and we've seen in music as well the way you've got the human piece and the technology coming together. I mean, the making of a modern album or a modern song or track of any description, you know, you really see the fusing of three or four artists coming in. And, in, I mean, if anyone has stepped into a modern recording studio, I mean, these are like something you'd see uh, launching a space program or something. They're just incredible machines and, and what they can do with sound and so on. But the general output of it is pretty good, right, when you bring those two things together. So maybe they're not necessarily enemies. They're not necessarily enemies. And if we look 
to the, the past to inform the future, we can still see there are record labels. There's, there's still a need for that. Um, now they're, they're, their positions have shifted. But yeah, I think we coexist, we change, we adapt, and we incorporate these new changes. And look, in, in, in the music sector, it's you know, potentially some artists are doing better now than they were before. Yeah. Now, in terms of what you're excited about in the design world, obviously you've got this metaverse, and, and you'd seen, that seems to break people into two groups. You have people that are quite sceptical. They see it as second life reheated up. Other people think it's yeah, going to be an absolute category buster in terms of, you, you know, it's really going to change how we communicate and how we do business, etc. Is there anything out there that sort of excites you from a design point of view that's pushing the frontiers? Like, just personally, is there things that you'd say, Emma, what really gets me going is this, or watch this area, or this is going to be big, maybe that not so big. What's out there that you personally, Alan Higgins, are kind of excited about? And don't worry, I'm not asked to produce a list, but just some impressionistic sense of, of, of the kind of design ideas and trends that you are kind of excited about at the moment. God, you give me the hardest <laughs> question. Tick, 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 and my tick, answer will sort of suggest uh, sort of the r- rationale for why I work also in a research group called the Center for Innovation Technology and Organization. That's a UCD research center. Um, the answer, uh, I'll unpick it a little before I give you the answer. Okay. And that is um, there's no one thing that works without the social context and the technical and social infrastructure for it to be appropriated, for it to be used. And we started off, I, I said I'm an engineer. I did electrical and computer engineering at University of Queensland in Australia. And back in the day, I, you know, I was in, in love with circuits and motors and electronics. And what we see now, 30, 40, 50 years on, is this sort of gradually uh, a gradual shift towards um, uh, electric uh, motors, uh, cars that run on electricity. Um, but that, that, that sort of highlights the problem of a, of a headline view of technology because that can't work without the required fundamental infrastructure out there. So people having charging, um, a, a network that, uh, that can transmit that level of electricity, local generation. Yeah, so that's where I think, uh, that's what excites me, I think, electric cars. <laughs> yeah, and what I love about technology and creativity using technology is that we sometimes go back so, you know, we have obviously had the combustion engine for decades, but batteries were meant to be the future back in the 1930s and 20s. Now we're going back to batteries. Batteries are all the rage. You even talk about using them this winter to try and store power in some way. So uh, what I love about it, it's not linear. We go back, we jump forward, old things come back in again, repurposed, new things don't uh, deliver exactly what they want people. So it's a lovely jumbled up kind of picture, isn't it? The way we go backward and forward with these things and you try something else, throw it out again, and that's the way it should be. Absolutely. And it wouldn't work without digital at the heart too. So and integrated circuits, um, software in your car, um, the systems are ready and, and they sort of work together. It's a sort of hybrid how, how, how system. How are you on driverless cars before I let you go? <laughs> I don't think it'll work. I, I, I think there are limits. I, I don't think you see full driverless, particularly in an Irish context. No. Uh, <laughs> little back roads and wooden... Uh, Out in Connemara or near the Burren and Clare, I don't know if they'd work. The, oh, the mapping yeah. might be, not be quite... Uh, <laughs> I, I, I remember valuable. driving on a, a road that was like driving across the sea in Connemara. Uh, it just uh, and literally no place to overtake. So, <laughs> <laughs> 
encounter somebody, you have to reverse to a little bay and then pass on. Yeah, so, yeah, so yeah. Ireland's boreens might not be quite driverless friendly. It's a very interesting period ahead. Um, we'll have to leave it there. Alan Higgins, you've been a great guest on the show. We've got through a lot of the podcast. You've, your career has been very interesting. We won't ask you about the Japanese or ask you to finish out the podcast. Are, are you still speaking any Japanese at this stage? Hi, skoshi dake, skoshi dake, just a little. Okay. You are the first person to speak Japanese on Business Impact, so thank you very much for that. Alan Higgins, his research associate lecturer here at UCD Business School. The whole world of design, well, all we know about it is it will always change and always deliver new innovations. So we'll keep an eye on track on them here on Business Impact. Thank you very much for joining us. We'll be back again soon with another edition. It's great to get the new episode and series up and running. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you soon. Now, if you enjoyed this week's episode of the UCD Business Impact Podcast, please subscribe to episodes on Apple Podcast or Spotify. We cover a broad range of topics with insights from business leaders around the world, so there's sure to be something there for everyone. I'd like to thank our production team of David Corscadden, Eth Gormley and Mike Liffey. They work tirelessly in the background, sourcing interviewees, editing, promoting episodes and everything in between. I've been your host, Emmett Oliver, and we hope you can join us next time on UCD Business Impact. Music